Fucking man, people getting creative in 2020. I mean, we got time travel. I, I'll just let you all think about that for a sec. <laughs> Have y'all watched the Umbrella Academy? No, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah, one of yeah. the guys in it has like time travel powers. Really? Mm-hmm. I was talking about like paradoxes yesterday. Um, I at practice and we were getting like time travel and the theories that are like there's an infinite amount of universes and whatnot. And if you go back in time and you don't change like these 10 major events, like let's say you went back in time and you only moved like a pile of sand to the left by one foot, then you wouldn't really alter the timeline, right? Because you wouldn't like change these major events that affected everything. But it's like all weird and paradoxy. Something we were talking about the issue is pretty cool. Right. Yeah, that's the whole keep you up at night. Yeah. Like we can't wrap we can't wrap our brains around that. We're not meant to. <laughs> I think right. I think it's crazy. It's weird to think about something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. you never know, like if you do go back in time, you don't know if say you talk to some person from that specific timeline, you don't know if it could mess up the whole time continuum thing. And then you come back to twenty twenty and it's like Oh man, what did I do? Right, right. That's always funny. Stuff like that's always really interesting to me. Like science stuff that, like, I mean, because the majority of science, like, you can prove or disprove through experience, experiments or whatever. But like, talking about like time and like the fourth dimension or like paradoxes and time travel you like know nothing really about it it's all unknown and so it's like hard to comprehend almost like you were saying oliver yeah almost like time is just like a concept we created so we can't really like we can't really mess with it right 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 Mm -hmm. all right if y'all ready i say we jump into this yeah yeah yep all right so welcome to episode one of of our Their Eyes Were Watching God podcast. Today, we have brought through our time machine our author, uh, Zora Neale Hurston. I'd like to give a big welcome to Miss Hurston. Thank you. <laughs> welcome. All right. So, you, Miss Hurston, wrote this novel in the 1930s. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, how. How was uh how was it writing this book then in that time being a black female in the 1930s writing this book and like going to come out with this? Um it was actually pretty difficult because I struggled when I was younger to even get the education needed to produce a novel. Um but like I had to lie about my age in order to finish high school. Um, and then once I did started to pu- publish works, like most of them weren't even um, really acknowledged anytime after they were released. Really? So I I did do a little bit of research and I found out you originally wrote this in the 30s or you had written it previously, but it wasn't published until then. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yeah, like 1937. Um, mm-hmm. So. 
So what what was that? I can't imagine like how challenging that must have been for you, like writing this novel. And it's like it took like a lot of time and effort. It looks like, um, and you put a lot of work into it. How how was that? I mean, it must have been a struggle to write this amazing novel and then not have any recognition or even not even have like it published um, for a couple years later. Yeah, it was really difficult. Um, it was honestly a little discouraging um, to have, because this was not the only novel that I wrote um, in the 1930s, um, to have all of my works, none of them were majorly recognized or even like well read until um, many years later. So it was very like discouraging um, to write novels, which is why I kind of um, did more uh, like research type novels. Um, starting after this yeah i'm curious you managed to push through some really good novels i mean with all the odds against you i'm just kind of wondering what would your process look like say just you get an idea you just kind of go through how how that kind of looked for you um so i did a couple of different types of things this one really has a lot of influence from my life so um the process for writing this one like took a lot from my previous experiences Um, Some of my other books, um, I traveled to Jamaica and Haiti um, to find inspiration and really just um, be more well-informed. So for those, I used a lot of inspiration from there to go into writing these books. But um, yeah. So this novel is fictional. However, would you say like a lot of the um, content of this book or at least some of it was... I mean, you said you had a lot of inspiration from your own life, but is some of it like really true, like what happened in your life? And that's like what made you write the story, like the basis of this story? Yes, there is definitely a lot of true things from my life in this book. Um, I really did have three husbands. I really did live in a place named Eatonville. Um, Even like some of the characteristics of Janie in the book come from me. Like they always talk, like they always tell Janie how like young and beautiful she is. And I, at the age of 26, was convincing people that I was 17 and in high school. So there are definitely a lot of similarities um, between myself and uh, Janie and a lot of the things that happen in the book. That's that's really interesting. So you you said you lied about your age earlier, but then like to make yourself older and later on you were 26 and then you lied about your age to make yourself younger. Um Tell me about that. So um, at the age when I never finished high school. um, So uh, whenever I was 26 and I decided that I really wanted to go back and pursue a career in like literature and writing, I needed to finish high school. And the only way for me to do that without having to pay for it was to be a minor. So I began um, changing using my birth date to make me 17 at the time in order to finish high school and then I went to college with that same birth date wow so did people like suspect that you were not the actual age like did you have any trouble with trying to lie about your age then um, I, there were some people that were skeptical, but I was never somebody who just looked so much older that it was unbelievable. Um, plus at the time there was a lot less, um, like formal record keeping. So if I said that my birthday was later than it really was, there weren't a lot of people that were going to go back and fact check me on that, especially right. if I could pull off the age. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it it, it was. Um, I mean, now you're sitting in 2020, but it was the 1930s, so there's a lot less access to information back then, right? Um, yeah. So that, that probably accounted for some of it. Now, we we talked a little bit about how this was real and how you really did have three husbands. Um, now, tell me a little about because in this novel, Janie her um, her third husband, he goes by Tea Cake, and um, when I was researching a little bit about you, it said your hus- your second husband was actually um, inspired uh, you to make this character Tea Cake. Um, what what about your husband um, was so similar to Tea Cake? Um, Tea Cake was really. Uh he was based on my second husband and they were very similar. I gave them very similar like mannerisms and um, sort of like prideful things. Like Tea Cake um, wanted to make sure that like um, Janie didn't have to work in like the fields or whatever after she'd been up late at night. And uh, my second husband did a lot of the same things for me and was just very like caring. Um, so they're, they like, and his manners, like his, not his manners, and like his physical attributes that are described in the book are very similar to my second husband. So you, the way you were you were describing how your second husband with tea cake, it sounded like kind of that you not like praising him, but having all those good qualities about him. And I'm just curious about why it didn't work out with him. Like what went, what happened? Um, so my second husband and I, he, while, um, while my second husband was very, like, protective and wanted me to not have to work that hard, there were definitely some issues with us. Um, I was, um, uh, we only were married for a couple of months, um, but that was due to he, um, used to, like, physically abuse me which was very common in the 1930s, but um, I wasn't very accepting of that. Wow. So it sounds like during this time, you went through a lot of struggle and a lot of um, personal dilemmas between being a black female in those times and having uh, multiple husbands and having at least one of them um, physically abuse you. That has to really take a toll on you. So now after the fact looking back you've written this novel and it's had great success and i mean people obviously almost a hundred years later are reading this book and learning about you in this novel um so when you look back on these those times when you were really struggling and really going through it what what do you think has changed like since then like for you um specifically towards like your lifestyle and um since you've had this great success um so a couple years after I published some of my novels some of them were um acknowledged and I got uh, the Boothing Cookman College Award for Education and Human Relations which was very nice but um after that award, um, I fell off sharply and I struggled to actually make a living. And I worked as a maid for many years. Wow. That, that's really interesting that, um, I, I, I personally would not be able to do all that. I probably 
would not have lasted as long as you did in that industry. Um, now, this book has become so successful, like I just mentioned. Did you, when you were writing it, think that it would be this successful or that people way in the future would be um, learning about its contents? I mean, I was always hopeful that it would become successful and people could read it and learn about like what life in a predominantly black only blacks only community would be like. Um, but I really wasn't anticipating such like a big, um, like big positive remarks, like so many years later, just because um, I am a black woman, like in the 1930s writing and I didn't anticipate um, all this attention coming back on me so many years later. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you wrote this before the before nineteen thirty seven. It was published in nineteen thirty seven. Finally, um, and then it was it was uh, gained some attention for a number of years, and then it went silent almost. Um, but then in the nineteen seventies, the mid nineteen seventies, it came back into uh, the public eye, and it really gained some attention again. And now it's still on that same ride. That I think it's. Personally, I think it's amazing that it had a little bit of success like a long time ago and it just dipped and the majority of novels um, stay unnoticed after they um, decline in attention value. Um, But your your book really is something special to say that it came back up so many that number of years later and um, is still still writing high. That's that's a great feat to accomplish, I feel like, for a novel. Thank yeah, you. I think that I think that as well says something about the uh, like the social situations going on, you know, in the 70s, got a lot of uh, social progress going on. And I think a lot of people look to your book as sort of an inspiration. Yeah, that makes sense. After um, civil rights and like the 1960s and everything, all the social change being promoted, it would make sense that. Um, a book from the time period of indentured servitude and racism in the South, like would come back in as a learning method. All right, guys, I interrupt the middle of this podcast to bring you the newest, greatest, latest technology of 2020. We call this the, um, the greatest mask made of all time. Um, My co-host, Oliver is about to tell you a little bit more about this. All right. So right here, we have got the Karen mask patented. Okay. So what that is, the most air breathable mask, the, it, it fits regulations in some states. It has holes breathable right around the nose and the mouth area. So that way, you can get the, you don't, there's no extra heat, that hot air come back at you. You, you just, the perfect mask for anybody who doesn't want to wear a mask. It's just, it's got the holes. I know Kylie's actually done a test run. How'd it go? Tell us about it. Oh yeah. Um, when I first tried on our new mask, I was like, wow, I can breathe clearly now. I don't have to worry about struggling 
with trying to fix my mask where it fits on my face the right way and not have people judge me for it not being on right. And especially when I tried it on for the first time, one of my hugest problems was, like Oliver said, with the hot air coming back on your face, it produces more bacteria with it being so close to your skin that it actually causes, like the normal mask causes more breakouts. And that is one thing that I struggle with. And when I used this mask for the first time, I was like, now I don't have to worry about having any more acne breakouts. So I thought this mask is gonna be a great um, contribute to- It's a game changer. Oh yeah. Personally, Personally, um, you know, we're all required to wear masks now, and I think it's just so hard to breathe in. So when I was doing my trial run last week, I um, was so fortunate to have that gaping hole in the middle that goes around my mouth and nose so I can breathe really easily by still wearing the mask that we're all required to. And so I think this this Karen mask, it's only um, $65.99.99. Um, or four four easy money. payments of a whole lot of money, um, so so not that affordable. However, it is the top of the line. You never have to change your mask. You can breathe really well. One hundred percent effective rate against the um, how do you pronounce this? Cor- corna coronavirus. I think it's, coronavirus. I think, I think I think that's what it's called. Um, exactly. So. Uh, we just partnered with this company. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of our podcast. Um, we're very fortunate. So everybody go check out the Karen mask at karenmask.com backslash free for 10% off. And um, we, we just like to give one more shout out to the Karen mask. Yeah. In a society where people just, they whine about anything. This really takes that away. We got something for everybody. You know, 100% Corona proof, low price for the quality. And yeah, check them out. You got the link. All right, jumping right back into this podcast with our fantastic author, Zora Hurston. Um, talk to me about how it was living in Eatonville. Right, because our main character in this novel, um, Janie, was from Eatonville, and so, so tell me a little about about Eatonville. Where where was this? Uh, what time in your life? What was going on? Um, so I lived in Eatonville. I was not born in Eatonville, but I often told people it was my um, birthplace because I moved there when I was one and a half. Um, Eatonville is in Florida. Um, I grew up there from the time I was one and a half until the time I was about 17 or 18. Um, and I moved back there later in my life after I'd finished this book. Um, Eatonville was a predominantly black community. Um, so it was kind of separated from the racism, um, that was normally experienced in the South. Yeah, I feel like that has a really big impact on this book and in your life in general, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you you grew up as a black female in this time, as we've said many times before, and so you moved here in this uh, dense population of black Americans, and I, it must have been a totally different 
uh, culture, a different world for you coming to this place where it's more inclusive for you as opposed to, um, I mean, you may not remember the earlier than that, but surely after you moved out of Edenville, the, um, the struggles that uh, came in your life because of this, right? Yes, it was very different because in Eatonville, um, my father was actually elected the mayor, which is kind of some of the inspiration for my first husband as being the mayor, um, or for Janie's husband being the mayor in the book. Um, but so in Eatonville, I was definitely looked up towards as like the mayor's daughter. Um, and since it was predominantly black, like there weren't a lot of um, white people coming in and ordering us around as often as it was like after I left Eatonville. Um, and like we all lived in the same city but there was like a more impoverished um more like strictly policed like black part of the community mm -hmm. and that's really interesting were there any sort of times living in eatonville florida experiences that you had that you just thought i've got to put that in the book that will really fit um I think the experiences of like when Janie's coming back and Phoebe has heard all these rumors about her, I think that that really fits the community well. Um, because she really, like it is a small town community and everyone knows everyone very, very well. So like hearing all these rumors about people, um, that's really like a big part. And that's how like the book begins. Yeah, so on a on a little side note, do when you lived in this town and you said that there wasn't a whole bunch of people, um, did you really have any main people that really supported you? And what what was it like having to be able to have someone to support you down those ways of you creating these novels and your hardships? Um, both of my parents supported me very much. I was close with my parents, unlike Janie in the book. Um, and I was actually introduced to like long forms of literature by white teachers that had visited Eatonville. Um, so that was something that was a little different for me as opposed to everyone else, just because I was given the opportunity to read all these novels that normally um, people in a black community wouldn't. And I got this schooling and I was my family um, throughout this writing process. That's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to have that support system that supported you on the way to be able to be, to be able to come successful and really live out your dreams. That, that, um, this seems like it really must have had a good impact on you because I'm wondering if you do you think if you didn't have that um, source or that community that was around you to fuel you to motivate you to um, keep you going do you think you would have kept writing and making other novels and having the success or do you think um, you wouldn't have so so my question for you is did that tight circle of a support system make your career at long lasting or do you think you were um very independent and it just uh, like helped in in the backbone um of your career um I feel like towards the beginning like the strong community is really what gave me like the courage and like the um support that I needed in order to start writing 
But um, I think as I moved away from Eatonville and I really began my own life with my husband's, um, I feel like a lot of that was just self-motivation. Like I really um, am very resilient and determined. Um, and like my family really gave me like the starting backbone of like what I needed. But um, from there, I really just did this on my own and took it upon myself to work hard. That's, uh, that's, that's great. I know, I know for me personally, um, now, I mean, obviously I'm doing this podcast, but before I started this, um, before I retired, I worked with, um, one of my great friends, Elon Musk. And, um, the only way that I was able to get into his circle and in his industry was because when I was a child, my parents really had a great support system for me. And I think, um, that led me through, um, my schooling and my motivation to not, not quit, not stop. And, um, so, so I, I personally relate to that a lot. Um, now looking back on my life, that, that tight, close circle of, I mean, for me, it was my family, not everybody it is. And unfortunately not everybody has that close circle, but for me, um, that's what it was. And that really helped me when I was going through those struggles or those De- declines in my life I think they they really helped me turn around so so I kind of relate to you in that in that way I, I agree um yeah I think that without support to like I think if more people during this time period would have had the same support system and same resources that I did um that you would have um more black female writers um from the 1930s like coming to your podcast and you have so many more great works of literature to look back on because we have no idea how many of them have been lost from my time period yeah i i agree i can't imagine how many um young female black writers in that time or um would have wanted to be writers there were um do you think at all you and your success had an impact on the um young women and authors that um look to write novels today or uh do you think like you paved the way for that anyway being a very famous and very um well-written author yeah, I really hope that um, my legacy can inspire um, underrepresented like authors today, because um, even though this is 2020, and this really isn't um, the time period I'm used to, um, there's, you can still see like discrepancies in like the number of black female authors, like even whenever you look at the school system today, in America, like you still predominantly read like classics from white males. Um, so I really hope that like my legacy can inspire other girls to um, pursue their writing, like no matter what the costs are, no matter what they have to do. I really hope that they can um, look towards my struggles and like find some inspiration in that. Yeah, that, that's great. So, so you wrote these novels, but you also were interested in a bit of film and film photography. And of course, you're best known for this novel. And now there is a, a film about this novel. But in in the early 1900s um you were considered first an american author and also second a a filmmaker and um so you really pioneered the 
uh, you worked on the women's film Pioneer Project. Um, would you would you like to? Tell me more about that because that seems like a really underlying part of your career that not many people would know about at first um, if they had just read your novels or um, not done that much research about you. Yes, I feel like film is just another great way to get stories or information or like better understanding about a time set, a time period through to an audience. Um, I really think that it's important. I think that having women also equally represented in film um, is important just so like history isn't whitewashed or anything like it's important to have all sides like represented which is why I decided to become part of that organization. Yeah it's interesting it really it really reaches out to a large audience when you uh, when you master in both with writing and in film so i think that really did make a good impact oh yeah oh yeah so like if you if you could not be able to write novels anymore do you think that you would go to filmmaking for the whole time or would you try to Um, pursue i feel like uh, in the 1930s in the early 1900s um i feel like film would have been the next avenue i could have taken um just due to like lack of opportunity but i feel like um had this been happening in 2020 um i could have probably expanded to like maybe political advocism or um writing speeches or any or like starting um any sort of like community organization that helps um, underrepresented like black female women, like in whatever profession that they want to do. But I feel like um, in the early 1900s film would have been my next best option just due to the limited resources I had. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, Well, we're about to wrap it up. I would, I would just like to thank you one more time for um, accepting our invite to, come to the future 2020 um, through our amazing time machine that we talked about at the beginning and um, shout out to you, Zora, Neil, Hurston, everybody, our listeners go, go Google her, go check her out, do your research, go read her books. Um, I just like to thank you once again for coming on our podcast. It's been an incredible, an incredible conversation and I believe, uh, scheduled in the next couple of weeks, we will be discussing this novel in depth in our next few episodes. So, um, audience, stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank you one more time for coming on. Um, anything you'd like to say before we uh, finish this out? Um, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. All right, guys. Um, thanks for tuning in to our first episode of Their Eyes Watching God podcast, and we will see you in episode two.